right, so as we start today, start today, I want to share a little bit about myself with y'all. First of all, I am an avid reader. I love to read. I like to read for knowledge, and I like to read for pure enjoyment. I love historical fiction, Christian fiction, clean beach reads, and even some light suspense. Um, none of that may be a surprise to you, but a little-known fact about me is um, actually a couple of confessions. First off, when I read, I do nothing else. If I start a book, I'm going to finish it, most likely within 24 hours. I don't sleep, I don't eat, I don't cook, I don't clean, I don't do anything else while I am engrossed in reading a book. In fact, a couple of, uh, several months ago, my husband took me on this wonderful, sweet getaway, husband and wife getaway, to Fairhope, Alabama, where we stayed at the Grand Hotel. If you've ever been there, it's amazing. If you haven't, go back. And we went, uh, we were there a Thursday through a Sunday. And on Friday afternoon, we went to a little downtown Fairhope and went wandered through the used bookstore where my husband was, had like 10 or 12 books in his hand to buy and said, why don't you buy a book? I'm going to buy a bunch of books. Now, my husband can put a book down. In fact, he can take a really long time to read a book or 10 books at the same time. Doesn't bother him at all. And I said, okay, but if I buy this book, this 583-page book I had in my hand, if I buy this book, you realize that I'm going to spend the rest of my trip reading this book. And that is exactly what I did. I, I finished it late Saturday afternoon. It was great. Um, but I enjoyed it. I read it. I did nothing else. And that may not sound so awful or so shocking, but my next confession regarding reading is probably going to get a groan or two out of you. So I start a book, and I read the first few chapters to get familiar with the characters. And then sometimes, <laughs> told you, not always, but a lot of the times I read the end of the book. And then I'm excited to go back and read the details of how we got from A to Z. I know it's horrible. I know it's shocking. It, I can't even explain why I do it. I just do it. But that's what I want us to do today. As we study about Samson today, I think it would be a good way to start. Let's look at where we began and let's look at the conclusion of Samson's story. The details from A to Z may not be as cut and dried as you think. So we're going to start by looking at Samson, where he was introduced to us in chapter 13. The people of Israel were, big surprise, again doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave the Israelites into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Judges 13, 2 through 5, introduce us to Samson. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, just a quick aside, when we see the word behold in scripture, God is about to do something, so listen up. And in this case, as we continue, we know that what God is about to do involves Samson. Continuing on, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child will be a Nazarite from birth, 
and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then in Judges 13, 24, and 25, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtard. So at this point, we've been introduced to, the, in these scriptures, we've been introduced to the primary characters. We've been introduced to God, Israel, the Philistines, Samson, and the Spirit of the Lord. So let's look at the conclusion of Samson's story. And we're not going to look at that today in Judges 16 right yet. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, because this is the end of Samson's story. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. The end of Samson's story finds him listed here from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Hebrews Hall of Faith as someone who clearly fulfilled the purpose that God had for him. I don't know about you, but now that I know the beginning and I know the end, I'm really excited to read all the details and learn about the details of how, we, how Samson got from point A to point Z. So it may not be quite so awful to know the conclusion before you read the road to that conclusion. Knowing the conclusion of Samson's story gives me hope as we press on through the peaks and valleys that got him to that beautiful con con conclusion. So, y'all will be happy to know that we're going to look at his story in the Cliff's Notes version. <laughs> in chapter 14, we begin to see some of those peaks and valleys. We learned about his marriage to a daughter of the Philistines. The Philistines who he was be to begin to save Israel from, and here he marries one. That doesn't seem exactly wise. In fact, it was forbidden. Deuteronomy 7, 2 through 3, And you shall make no covenant with them, and show no mercy to them. Speaking of God's enemies. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your son, for they would turn your sons away from following me to seek other gods. Also in chapter 14, Samson took honey from a lion's carcass and served it to his parents without divulging where it had come from. Some commentators see Samson's act of touching a lion's carcass as a violation of his Nazarite vow. Then he presents a riddle to the 30 companions given to him by the people and gives in to his wife's enticement to share the answer to the riddle with her. She, in turn, shares that answer with the companions to avoid them burning her and her father's house with fire. This caused Samson to become angry, and yet also to have to provide the garments and clothes that he had promised them. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and enabled Samson to strike down 30 men and take their spoil and give it to the companions. The end of chapter 14 finds Samson back at his father's, having left his wife, who was then given to his companion. The story picks up again in our chapter today. Chapter 15. Samson's feeling a little more generous towards his wife, and he travels back, only, back to her only to discover that her father had indeed given her to his companion, who had been his best man. 
Samson proclaims his innocence in regards to the Philistines and sins. I just want you to get a visual picture of this. 300 foxes and lit torches into the grain of the Philistines and burns down the standing grain and the stacked grain and the olive orchards. He tied the torches, but I'm thinking about the time and the details. (laughs) It takes to tie two tails together with a torch in between them and light the torch and send them into the orchards. The the Philistines exacted revenge by burning Samson's wife and her father, the very thing the wife and her father had tried to avoid. Samson reacts by striking the Philistines' hip and thigh with a great blow. That is a large part of the body, and it caused great difficulty and pain for the Philistines. Then, in chapter 15, enter the men of Judah. The Philistines have camped in Judah to bind Samson, and to do to him as he had done to them. Let's remember that the men of Judah are Israelites who are in bondage to the Philistines. The Philistines are their enemies. Yet 3,000 men of Judah go to Samson to bind him and turn him over to the Philistines. In Judges 15, 14 through 15, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone. I understand Katie Cruz has one of those. Is she in here? (laughs) A fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. The end of chapter 15 finds Samson calling upon the Lord to quench his thirst. This is the first recorded cry of Samson to the Lord. The Lord answers his request, and Samson judged the Israelites for 20 years. Chapter 15 ends with Samson depended upon and sustained by God. And then we begin chapter 16. Samson has traveled to Gaza, where he visits a prostitute. Samson is giving in to his sinful desires by laying with this woman. The Philistines hear this and surround the place where he is and lie in ambush to kill him. But Samson arose before the break of day and took hold of the gate of the city and two posts, the gate of the city and two posts, and pulled them up and carried them on his shoulders from Gaza to Hebron, which was about 40 miles uphill. That's quite a feat. Then Samson meets Delilah, who is also a Philistine, and he loves her. Clearly Samson has a weakness for women particularly Philistine or forbidden women. The lords of the Philistines approach Delilah and give her instructions to ensnare Samson into divulging to her the sorts of his strength and how they might bind and humble him. The lords of the Philistines were powerful men. We read a bit about them in chapter 3. And they offered her a pretty penny to betray Samson. Verses 6 through 21 recount the spiral of Delilah ultimately securing this information for the Philistines and having Samson's head shaped. She tormented him and his strength left him. The Lord left him and the Philistines gouged out his eyes and had him grind meal up in the prison. Up to this point in chapter 16, we see Samson as self-sufficient and we see him deserted by God. But verse 22 says... But the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. In my mind, this is a pivotal verse. Samson is at the end of himself. He is humiliated and alone. 
His physical weakness is evident to himself and to everyone else. It brings to mind verses like Deuteronomy 31, 6. Do not be feared or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It is in this verse that I begin to understand why Samson ends up in the hall of faith. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God gave Samson faith. Samson thought his strength was in the fact that his hair had not been touched with a razor. But his strength came from God through the Spirit of the Lord. We see that in verses 14, 16, 14, 19, and 15, 14, where the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. It is in the growth of this new hair that I am reminded that God's purposes will be fulfilled. We learned at the beginning of Samson's story that God's purpose for him was to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistine. Philistines. Job 42.2 reminds us, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Samuel is broken from sin, phys broken physically, humiliated, and has come to the end of himself. He goes to the only place he knows to go to at this point. He goes to the throne of God. Judges 28 through 31. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I might be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson prays for vindication, which to us seems a little odd. He's asking God for a vengeance on the Philistines who gouged out his eyes. And that kind of makes me wonder if at the very end of his life, when his last request to God was for vengeance, how does that make him faithful? But you know, I can't understand his motives. And we're not given anything in scripture that explains his motives. But we are told in scripture that God looks at the heart of the man and that God gives faith. So God gave faith to Samson and God knew Samson, and he knew his heart. I'm also encouraged about the fact that when I sin, God knows my heart, and that my eternity is not dependent on my lack of sin at the time of my death. My eternity is dependent on Jesus Christ, my Savior, who has paid the price for that sin. Samson is wholly dependent on God, who alone holds the power to grant life and death, and who acts in response to human supplication. The moment of Samson's death was the moment of his greatest victory. God's answer to Samson comes not only in the midst of desperate need, but in the wake of miserable fa failure. God's purposes through and for Samson had been fulfilled, and the salvation of the Israelites from the Philistines had begun just as God had purposed for Samson. So knowing all that, let's think for a minute. What do our stories look like? 
Can we parallel that for a second, our stories for a second, with Samson's? We know the beginning. We all know our birth stories. But more importantly than that, we know from Jeremiah 1.5 that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And then in Ephesians 2.10, we are told, For he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our story has a purpose from before we were formed in the womb. What does the rest of our story look like after the beginning? Like Samson, it will no doubt include sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Dale Ralph Davies reminds us in his commentary on this chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, that whether it is the evil and sin within us or some form of it outside us, God doesn't cause us to negotiate with sin and evil, but to wage war on them, to nurse a holy hatred toward them in all their multicolored forms. Don't hear me saying that it is okay that our lives are going to involve sin, because that is not what I'm saying. But the fact is, our lives are going to involve temptation and sin. We are still instructed to flee from it. We are still instructed to fight a holy war against sin. So I'm not, don't hear me saying, it's okay if you sin tomorrow. I'm saying we are to be aware that our lives involve sin, just like Samson's did. Identify our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities and fight a holy war against them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Also like Samson, in our weakness, God's strength will be perfected. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Our weakness causes us to move out of the way and let God work. Like Samson, God will complete his purpose for our lives. Psalms 138, 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God's grace even weaves our sinful failings into the outworking of his purposes, just like he did with Samson. God used Samson's failings and sin to, to God's glory and to his bidding. Do you struggle with your purpose? I know I do, particularly in times of transition. Um, Y'all know I have five children. My youngest one is in junior high. It, no. He's a junior in high school, not a junior high. He's a junior in high school. And so my life is changing. He's driving. My responsibilities are reducing. I've been a stay-at-home mom for 34 years. So I have to wonder, okay, God, what is my purpose? I'm finding out what my purpose is and in in what God is putting before me to handle and to do. But the main thing is that I know without a doubt that there is a purpose and that helps me. And at whatever stage of our lives we're at, whenever, while ever there is breath in our bodies, we have a purpose for God. And he is working that purpose out in us on a daily basis. Like Samson, there will be times in our lives when we cry out to the Lord. Psalm 61, 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Similar to Samson, we are led by the Holy Spirit. The difference is we have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so we have constant access to his leading. Samson had the Spirit rush upon him and leave, but we have the constant dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. We will find, like Samson, that our strength comes from the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 27, And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 2 Timothy 1.14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And Ephesians 3.16, That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Like the Israelites had in Samson, we have a Savior. Samson was a sinner and a Savior. We've been paralleling our lives to Samson. We're the sinners. We can parallel him to Jesus, the Savior. Our, the Philistine Savior was weak and sinful, but our Savior is sinless and perfect, holy God and holy man. The Westminster Confession of Faith teaches us that a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. May that be the way our story ends. Amen.